Hello, welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, music and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Paris Paloma. Paris is a UK-based singer-songwriter who channels the experience of womanhood into her songwriting, speaking to the female experience and to the human experience at large, exploring themes of grief, love, death, and power. Her songwriting reads like poetry, drawing inspiration from figures throughout mythology, art history, and the romantics. Ranging from the tender and heartbreaking to the sublimely vengeful, her ethereal sound takes influences from dark pop, folk and indie genres, creating magical discography that evokes something primal, powerful and innately feminine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? Um, Okay, I get really stressed out by these questions. Um, Not your questions in particular, but um, (laughs) it's something I've thought about a lot and I tried not to overthink it this time, but I went with... um, Firstly, Bell Hooks, mm. um, and then Sir Ian McKellen, because I just <laughs> I think he'd be so fun, and um, Greta Gerwig, and that's that's kind of of the time at the minute. So that's that's been a long long term answer for me. A fab trio. So first off, with Bell Hooks, she is a popular choice on our podcast. It's mm. a good reason. Why for you specifically? I think. Um, I had this sort of moment in my teens where I was like, why do I need to read about womanhood? Like, I am a woman. I understand it. And I had this kind of like moment of annoyance um, where I was like, it should be men doing this. We're putting all this effort in. We're reading about our lived experience when it's us that's that's living it. And and men don't understand that they're not trying to understand. And so I kind of went on like a reading strike in my teens, which was the kind of very ill-informed and a stupid thing for me to do. And it was when I was, you know, kind of, um at the building blocks of my feminism and I think I also I found it quite difficult and a lot of the the writing a bit inaccessible and I I didn't get until kind of the entry of bell hooks um how accessible her writing is and how it's not you're not you're not reading to kind of shape other people's opinions you're reading to equip yourself with with that vocabulary to talk about your experience it's not you're not reading to find out something new it's putting into words something that you know which you've not like been able to put into words prior and um I think she just got me to fall back in love with with reading um ab- about these topics and she does it in such a you know did it in such an accessible um way where it didn't kind of um alienate or make one feel you know kind of anti-intellectual which I think was definitely something I was struggling with in like my first years at uni when I was doing history of art and visual culture and I was struggling a lot with kind of um I don't know (laughs) insecurity about my intelligence level I don't that sounds odd but um anyway yeah I just sort of fell in love with her as a speaker and as a writer and I knew when I said that I knew she'd be such a popular choice for (laughs) for dinner party guests of people on this podcast but yeah I mean, it's um, 
I think, yeah, other people who have chosen her have also said the kind of accessibility of her mm. language uh, while dealing with quite heavy and intellectual topics is actually what makes her so powerful. Mm. How about Sir Ian McKellen? <laughs> I'd, okay, here's the thing. I just, I, that is like a, a note to my younger self. That's out of respect to her that I put that in there because when I was, you know, like 13 and, and coming up with answers to the dinner party, he was always number one because I would just, <laughs> um, I just would love to sit in conversation with him. Um, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. So really, if I'd have had more than three, I would have had um, Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee together at this dinner party because also I think Christopher Lee is probably, you know, one of the coolest people that ever lived. Um, and I think we'd have a lot to talk about. I I would love to talk to him about all the roles he's played in, in Shakespeare and, you know, just his, the, the huge weight of his experience. And um, I just love listening to him talk about things and acting and literature. Mm. I mean, I, I agree. I also... Um... I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, but mm-hmm. I'd say a semi Lord of the Rings nerd. <laughs> so I love Sir Ian McKellen. He's yeah, a great actor and and funny, and um, also I'm sure would have a lot of interesting things to say. I just, he's got stories, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> How about Greta Gerwig? Oh, I mean, a very popular choice. So you're, yeah, you're I, I do, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean pre-barbie i would have also said that um but obviously with with the barbie movie she is i'm i'm betting sort of also incredibly popular pick um Mm -hmm. for people on this podcast i just i absolutely fell head over heels for for her work when when i watched little women and um i think her her work just does something really important in it's it's difficult to centralize womanhood and the female experience in in the media in film in um you know that this public arena without um kind of really having to pander to his reasons why you a man should be interested in this so that so that these films whether whether it's films books whatever that are being made about girlhood um, so that they are not just sidelined and girlhood isn't just seen as like a subsection of 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 humanity and women aren't just kind of you know the whole reason that people said that Barbie made them so emotional was it literally flipped on its head the whole stereotype of women always trying to make it their interests whatever whatever their partner their male partner is is interested in um, and for the first you know not I mean I'm sure it's not the first time but like on this huge scale seeing boyfriends just go along with their girlfriends to see this film which you know they were having to they were trying to have this vested interest in and succeeding in because it's an amazing film um and I think you know she definitely did that to a degree with Little Women and it wasn't you know as huge as, as Barbie and stuff but that's what I felt at the time it was it was that centralizing without having to um really pander to men and sort of plead with them and give them reasons why they should be interested um and I just I loved that and I just saw myself so much in in all of those characters um and I think everyone did and that's why they loved Little Women so much and yeah yeah Little Women is one of my favorite films so you're Mm. preaching to the choir here (laughs) (laughs) it's got there's something about the way that Greta Gerwig directs that's kind of timeless but also 
really radical and I think that's the that balance she gets really she does that I, yeah I just think like at the forefront of her work is just the the inherent peopleness of and and she's just coming to it as someone who had a girlhood and someone who is seeing it as important and know, knows of its importance it's not this kind of heavy-handed attempt to I don't know I'm talking about little women specifically but but to try and make it womanhood and girlhood something like marketable is just telling stories about people and um it's something that you watch as a woman and you it resonates with you because you are sharing in that experience with her when you're when you're watching her work and I just think it's really beautiful mm. so where's this dinner party being held is it being held at your current home or in a kind of imagined fantasy place where's it being held um I think it's definitely being held in like my home when I'm an 80 year old mm, okay. I've got like you know all my belongings and all of my the 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 stability that is brought with life's experiences and um an absolutely maximalist atrocity of a home with <laughs> like completely weighed down by you know eight decades of hoarding mm. um and you know lots of candles lots of flowers lots of nice music playing on a record player that's that's where i'm envisioning this happening i mix so have you ever seen florence and the machines like tour of her london house i yeah i remember seeing like her bathroom doesn't she have like a frida carlo themed bathroom yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i'm expecting slightly similar vibes <laughs> oh yeah 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 like gothic kind of maximalist <laughs> uh almost some victoriana kind of oh yeah absolutely yeah. i think is i've just moved into a new flat. i said just moved in i moved in like six months ago but i've been like traveling um it's been festival season so i've been doing a lot of moving around and um, so my my room is horrendously minimalist at the minute. Well, for my standards, it's minimalist um, and doesn't have much furniture and stuff in it because I've I've just not sat. And that's where I'm talking to you from today. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's a nice little flat. <laughs> um, and speaking of music, uh, what tunes are going to be on repeat all evening? OK, um, I may have... <laughs> I may have misunderstood. I didn't realize that the tunes were part of the dinner party, and so I've chosen three incredibly dirgy songs. Um, but, but um, maybe this means it's sort of like a listening party, you know, where I make uh make bell hooks and Ian and Greta just listen to listen to songs that mean a lot to me. Yeah. Um, but so that's what we're going with. These are not. If you, for anyone in real life listening to this, if you come to a dinner party, this is not what I'm going to play as we're eating. <laughs> um, but um, first one is Black Willow by Loma. And they're actually a band that I don't know very well, but that song just absolutely, you know, when you kind of feel like a song is your soulmate. Um, and I was recommended it by someone I, I know and I'd never met just off social media. And um, they said I think it was either based off of how my music sounded or based off of drawings that I'd posted that they'd seen and they said you should listen to this song called Black Willow by Loma and it's just um so otherworldly so like of the earth it just it, it feels like it's the perfect song to be some kind of cryptid in the shadows in a forest somewhere and it just speaks to me on on many levels um the second 
song is a new one. It is The Selby Part 1 by Hosier. Um, and it's so beautiful. And I saw him, I'd not, I, I heard him play it um, at Alexandra Palace before it came out. Um, and I don't know. I think it's, I think I'd not, it's been a while since I, since I've heard people sing that softly and I don't mean sort of like sort of like in a very emotionally charged way I just I just it it really spoke to me and I the album's out now and my terrible terrible confession is that I've literally not had enough disc space in my mind to listen to it so I'm like not listening fully to the whole album until I can sit down with it and properly um give it my time and emotions mm. Um, and then the third incredibly um, buzzkilly vibe of a song is uh, for this dinner party is um, a song by Mitski and it's I Bet on Losing Dogs. Mm. Um, I feel like it's one of those songs which I took something that she didn't quite mean from it mm. um, because recently I kind of listened back to some of the lyrics that I hadn't realised were were potentially meant to be written to be read in a different way um but that's one of the things that I love so much about songwriting is that people take from it what they need and it feels like this kind of bottomless um well of you know enrichment that you can offer people because they can take what they need from it and it doesn't run dry and it's it, it, it you can return to it and find things in it and I think that song really um kind of embodies that for me um I think the metaphors in it are just incredibly multifaceted in their potential of ways that they can be read and um I I love it so much and I saw Mitski I saw her perform actually when she opened for Harry Styles and I made my my friend uh, and we bought tickets for Harry Styles and I made my friend get there at 4pm um, because that's when it said doors opened. I didn't want to miss Mitski and we ended up sitting in the stalls for about like three hours before she came on and then a further, you know, hour and a half after she left the stage before Harry came on. <laughs> um, but it was so worth it. Mm. Do you, those three artists really um, inspire you in your in your work? Definitely. Um, I think, I mean, I had kind of like a weird trajectory of 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 what I was inspired by in in songwriting because um, one thing I talk about a lot is the fact that I was primarily inspired in my writing style by literature as opposed to other music um, when I was a lot younger and then in my you know early teens I discovered Ed Sheeran and became absolutely obsessed with him because I just thought he was doing really amazing things um in terms of how he was just using words and it was incredibly clever and I loved his writing and it made so much sense to me and um I think that he was definitely one of the catalysts that sort of got me moving from creative writing because initially I wanted to be a, a an author and write write novels um and it was a catalyst to moving into songwriting because what I found was that I wanted to be a storyteller but um I just hadn't quite found the right medium and so that's now 
this is my medium songwriting is my medium and um yeah people hosier and mitski their words i i repeatedly just study and consume and i think mitski and and hosier and also other writers that i really look up to um you know bon iver and florence the machine um or ethel kane and fiona apple they they just everyone who's whose music i love and feel incredibly moved by is a, is a storyteller and sort of like a um a feelings facilitator um which is definitely something i wanted to you look at someone doing something that you really really respect and you you say like i want to be able to to do that i want to be able to move people in the way that they do i want to be able to hold people as i guide them through this story hold them emotionally um and give them a space that they wouldn't have had if this song didn't exist mm. so we're sitting around the table yes we've got sorry mckellen bell hooks greta gerwig in your maximalist home uh, <laughs> from the future <laughs> are you cooking or have you got someone else to cook for you? I'm not cooking um I could cook but I only know how to cook two things and therefore I eat it a lot mm. um and so this being my dream dinner party I wouldn't want to be eating something which is you know a standard thing which I make myself a lot so I know I am not cooking that makes sense so what are you serving to your starter first my starter is um very small very simple it is something i get um all the time whenever i have a show or have a rehearsal in camden mm-hmm. i go to camden market and go to camden noodle and get the same vegetable steamed bun um from the stall there and normally we'll eat it with my band um by, by the river um, and it's my favorite thing and I put some chili oil on it and a little bit of soy sauce and it just makes me very happy it makes me feel like um Shihiro in Spirited Away because it's just <laughs> this huge steamed bun and you hold it with both hands Brilliant. and eat it and I love it and it's not really a starter food but I was yeah the main the main course that I've chosen doesn't really have like a starter to go with it so this is why I've cho- chosen this as a starter as well no, that sounds delicious. Yeah. Are you serving any alcohol, non-alcoholic drinks alongside your starter? I'm like not, I mean, I don't, pff, any sommeliers out there can tell me what goes best with a steamed bun from Camden Noodle. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I I am happy for, let's say in my horrendously maximalist um, home as an 80-year-old, I have, you know, a vast collection of, crystal decanters with all the alcohols and all the non-alcoholic beverages that my guests would want and they can pick whatever they would like mm, okay that's yeah you're being a, a good uh, a <laughs> host by um, <laughs> they can have what they want yes um and for your main my main is so simple again it's sushi because it's my favorite food and i would just have a very fancy platter of multiple different kinds of sushis for um for my guests and we'd eat absolutely as much as we could possibly stand to eat what's your favorite kind of sushi roll okay i love 
Um, I just love some salmon sashimi. It's it's so it's classic. It's so filling, and I find it just I okay. So one of the reasons I love sushi, I um, I sometimes struggle with um food, and my I have um OCD, and I love the fact that you can just see all the ingredients that are in it. And um, it feels really simple and like a really safe food for me because you can just it it's it's rice and it's fish and then it's like avocado and it's and um, rather than being something incredibly complicated. But I also I love just some nice crunchy salmon rolls with like some spicy crispy onion on top or or something, and um, yeah, it's it's just the perfect meal for me and I just will never get tired of it I'm the same sushi is just it's just next level you know like it and it's so simple anyway yeah it's really filling more filling because I always order it and and kind of think like I'm you know I'll have I don't know this yeah I say I, I say it. that as well I say <laughs> it's so filling and then I literally eat like yeah an inconceivable <laughs> amounts of sushi that like no human you know as it, but, yeah that's that's the whole point you know you can just eat so much because it just you know I think it's because it's I don't know well a rice is quite filling I suppose and, mm-hmm. and, but it is it is healthy not that it matters that it's healthy but it does always feel like yeah. a, I don't know like a good takeaway or a good meal to get because you kind of feel like you're hitting all the nutritional food groups and it's also delicious so. yeah it's it's definitely my pre-gig food my pre this is a bit of Paris trivia is that pre-gig <laughs> um I always just have some avocado rolls because I just don't I don't like having anything super heavy uh you know um no dairy and, well for singing. no no dairy for singing I don't have dairy before a gig I have no caffeine one time I had a coca-cola before a show in Nottingham and I literally um the band loved to make fun of me for it because I'd been we were on tour and I'd not had any caffeine all week and so I had a coke don't know what possessed me I never drink coke um and just the caffeine from that coke literally sent me into just this huge like I had this anxiety attack before going on stage I was like shaking I was jittering my band find it hilarious now like I've got a coke problem and it was actually just <laughs> <a controller. laughs> um but yeah so I, I yeah I have things that I no I can't have like before a show just because of how it affects my body how it affects my voice and but avocado rolls they are the safe they are the nice they are my comfort I have them before a show they are delicious I mean I'm kind of loving that your menu while it's very appropriate for a dinner party is taking a lot of inspiration from what uh, from the food that revolves around your performance I just I mean okay this is I mean it, I know it sounds like that but it's just I do just eat a lot of the same foods I have. <laughs> um, I just have a lot of comfort foods and I like sticking with them um, I'm one of those people that will watch the same tv shows over and over again and um, eat the same foods because I like them and they make me feel safe mm. and held and that's nice I do I do branch out but here's the thing I don't I don't I don't branch out enough to know to 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 do like how they do in the off menu podcast for example where they're like I had this super fancy you know eight hour long cooked meal at this specific restaurant you know uh, in in London um I I need to start branching out in terms of the restaurants I go to so that (laughs) I have more things to say rather than 
sushi because it makes me happy well I mean sushi is quite you can have anything in sushi I think yeah it's and it's like you can have like you, you can have very simple sushi you can have incredibly fancy sushi so I would just say that I you know I will have somehow sourced incredibly fancy sushi oh I did have I have had recently I had some sugar fish sushi in LA this is okay but this uh, I didn't I it was brought to me by Eric Robinson who is a very very kind person who works on my label and um he came to listen to some of the songs that Justin Glasgow and I have been working on in the studio. And um, he brought some sushi. We had some wine. We listened to the songs. It was amazing. And Sugarfish is is incredible sushi from LA. And they've got the boxes with the it's 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 very um, anxiety inducingly overcomplicated. Um, but I'm I'm saying it completely jokingly, as in they have a little table of like what sauces you're meant to use with what, and um, and you know you open it up this box and it's out of my uh you know out of my depth a little bit but I did my best um anyway that was it really looks good amazing. I've seen that sugar fish on TikTok and they're like yeah, yeah corresponding like key it's like you have a box of chocolates for the key for the different chocolates that it yeah has. oh my god that's that's what it felt like and um <laughs> even they, so they have the little sauces and then they also have like um you know little like sesame seeds and little um like onions to like put on certain certain bits of the sushi it was it was lovely it was amazing so yeah I would get sugar fish sushi for this dinner party oh, amazing um and what about for pudding okay this is I I debated this for a while um and there's only really one correct answer and that is a a good a good tiramisu because yeah. And something that's hilarious is my sister has, um, she notes down like all the tiramisu's that she's eaten and rates them. That's and a very good idea. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I think incredibly critically about tiramisu's. There's, there's, there's few things that I'm incredibly critical about in my life, but that's definitely one of them because <laughs> you just really want it to be right whenever you order one. And so I'd have like, you know, loads of coffee you know the the cream is just right so it doesn't just feel like you're just eating like a bowl of cream and it would be kind of from one of those incredibly old Italian restaurants where they bring it out in like they've not made it in like individual pots they've made it in one big one big tray and they come out and they serve you um I was at a restaurant the other day and we ordered a tiramisu that claimed that it was for two to three people it came out and that was for like eight people um and me and my family were all bullying each other into having more of it because it was otherwise a very stressful experience and I don't like wasting food um but yeah my answer would be tiramisu delicious I mean mm. it's one of the best desserts I think that exists on the planet to be oh yeah I don't I don't know and I don't know when it was invented who invented it but it's it I just love it it's such a it's such a pillar of my life <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, that it also has a lot of caffeine in it so it's, this is not a yeah not a performance related pudding this is not something you have no absolutely <laughs> not this, this is this is this is just I love you know when I was thinking about desserts I was thinking about like a lot of pub puddings because mm. that's like what I grew up with and and went to the same pub every Friday night like in my village in Derbyshire for you know and I would you know it was always like sticky toffee pudding um and or like treacle tart or something um uh, but then they would pubs do tiramisu and often they do it quite well um 
and yeah well well enough you know and then you go to it go to a, an italian restaurant where they have like the coffee and alcohol content like just perfect and it's wonderful and there's gonna be like a huge layer of cream yeah just like a slab you know yeah. like that's it's yeah wonderful delicious what a weird menu I've given to these no, I think incredibly cool people. <laughs> I think it makes sense, to be honest. It's, it doesn't, it reads as a dinner party. Yeah. Um, it's like an informal dinner party. And then maybe, you know, um, like, Hosea will pop around and we'll have like a little jam afterwards. And, you know, and Florence will come as well. And uh, Bon Iver and we'll all, we'll all be there just hanging out and playing it, some music. <laughs> so it's ending in like a in a kind of jam sesh i yeah i that i don't play in because i i don't yeah um yeah. i take such, such exception to being that person that invites people around and then it's like oh should i sing um literally that's what it's like we <laughs> recorded <laughs> a <me> we <laughs> filmed a music video last week um uh, which actually i had some some wonderful people from spare ribs um yeah. involved in and um at one part harris the director he we had all these women together and he was like i want you all to um just wait till the end of this line and then all kind of mouth along to that last word of this this line of the song he's playing the song and we're being filmed and obviously no one else knows the song i'm the only one that knows the song in there and so i'd turn around and i was like would it help if i would it help if i sang along to the line so you know when when it's coming up that we have to do that because I'm facing away from them we're all facing in the same direction and I'm at the front and they were like oh yeah and I just immediately I was like I hate myself for suggesting that because it's just like oh do you do you guys want me to sing would it help you if I sang oh good I'll sing <laughs> um anyway <laughs> yeah so that's not what would happen at the cinema. I mean it sounds like a really warm loving dinner party yeah yeah I, I i hope so yeah i hope ian has a good time um i'm sure he will <laughs> really lucked out on the other guests you know the the, the artists coming around the i think he, he'll probably be like this is this is my dream dinner party yeah well in the you know in in the in the dream scenario it would just be like oh i'm just having dinner oh the door's gone who's that and then and then i'd go pick it up and it would be you know like um Hosier and Joni Mitchell just being like oh sorry have you got people around oh and I'll be like no come in you know <laughs> just like that's that's how this plays out yeah I love that and um, I'd love to speak to you more about your kind of songwriting in a wider sense your writing a lot of the time takes kind of inspiration from the experiences of being a young woman mm. um how do you channel your own personal feminism through your songwriting? I think um, something that kind of started me writing songs was was this need to be heard. Um, and something often that happens when you're a woman talking about your experience, it becomes politicized and being, you know, being political is important but when I say it becomes politicized it means that like if you're a woman having a conversation with a man about your experience every woman's been in this position where you're where you're or every you know every person of color every queer person has been in this position um where you you start ha talk telling someone about your experience and that's your that's your life and then someone who doesn't have that experience will leap into 
kind of debate mode and they all think oh yes let's have a fun political conversation um and it won't click that you're talking about your life that it won't that and so I think I was really feeling that lack of empathy from people when talking about um violence against women when talking about you know um feminism because it's 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 that's what it is but we're just talking about what we've been through and what we're going through and we want it to be better I mean when I say we I'm talking I'm talking about you know we as we as women from from all experiences and um so when I started writing it was it was kind of trying to find a way to humanize the the female experience and not just see it as something the you know should be glazed over or kind of looked at as some abstract political issue like oh well we don't have the time to talk about that right now so uh let's not until we have kind of an adequate space for it um in politics and and society and it's just it, it was incredibly frustrating and I many times was just moved to the point of wanting to share stories of my life and share stories of of women's lives who who are adjacent to mine um and also you know not not all of my music kind of is about that overtly but when you're when you're a woman it, it is like I said uh I said something to myself recently and it's like patriarchy kind of it's not a it's not a river that runs through your life like it shouldn't be there it's it's like a tear in in the map of your life mm -hmm. and it affects everything it informs everything that that you do mm -hmm. um and I wish it wouldn't and it's like what would that map look like if it wasn't torn you know um and that's kind of a lot of what I was thinking about when I started writing music like this so obviously for you your feminism and music is really kind of intrinsically linked mm. how do you feel music has played a role in shaping your feminism from when you were younger um is it is it there's a question about sort of my music or about uh music that I was listening to I think more um, like how yeah how music more widely not just your mm. music but how I guess listening to music and perhaps deciding that you wanted to be an artist how that has played a role in your in shaping your kind of personal mm. feminist journey I think exactly like what I was saying with the Mitski song um watching how music provides something even even if what it's providing wasn't the original intention how it is this bottomless well this like endless bounty of, of what people need from it um and how that can be applied to living as as a as a woman as as um and how that kind of could be used like back then to make myself feel heard and make myself move through the you know um certain traumas and certain experiences that I had been through um but in the in the wider sense it has given me such a watching watching people's reactions to my music it's helped me as much as it has helped them um 
because I think a lot of the time you know when I wrote the song Labour I, I got asked a lot kind of in press interviews sort of oh what can women do what can how you know how can we fix this almost as if I was kind of this um separate figure this this source of like authority on the subject when it's just I'm sharing my experience as one of these many women who's just gone through this um and the song became bigger than me in that way and other women from experiences you know that weren't from my place of, of privilege as a white woman were, were bringing what they what they felt from the song and that was just it it shaped me in an amazing way and helped me realize that we are um we have a kinship and when you make music and it and it creates a kinship with your listeners and you are sharing like as as well when I said um watching Greta Gerwig's work I feel like I'm sharing in something with her I feel like her and I are having a conversation because we have an experience that we understand from each other and that's that's what kind of that's what I want to bring to people listening to my music but it's also what music like that has brought to me I mean I loved your dinner party <laughs> um I thought it was a beautiful evening the food was delicious mm -hmm. uh, all my favorite foods the guests were wonderful um I always ask my guests one final question Mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist, either for yourself or for those around you? Um, a massive part of becoming a better feminist, I think, is um, let me think of how to phrase this. I think sometimes when people are trying to listen to other people's experiences, they are they continue to unconsciously center themselves and they are doing it in order to kind of feel like a good person. Um, and I think that's that's the way a lot of it starts. But um, I think centering empathy and putting oneself aside, you know, I've spoken a lot about how I started writing music um in order to feel heard and share my experience but then it, my experience is one specific kind of womanhood that not everyone has and I think to make myself a better feminist things I've been trying to do are centering women um who should be centered in discussions like this and that means that means queer women that means women of color and that means trans women who can bring more than 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 I can in certain respects to to discussions of feminism um and because I think something that happens very easily in um social media particularly I saw it kind of I saw the the ways in which it you know passed like a shadow over the trends happening with with labor and other songs as well I think of um Chinchilla's song Little Girl Gone where um it was being co-opted by by this type of white feminism or by this type of a turfy feminism um and it happens very easily in social media and i think it's because feminism in in a wider way is 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 people have got very used to it just re representing one type of person one type of very convenient feminism that's very easy to understand because it's adjacent to your own experience but when it's centered in empathy and when it's centered in 
you know, something other than just trying to make yourself um, more empowered and actually make women as a wider community empowered. I think that's that's what's important. And so that's something I've been thinking about a lot um, recently in order to be a better feminist in the everyday. Mm. What a lovely answer. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.